Welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world. Brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult. I'm your host, Sarah Crudis, and in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and sustaining our planet for the future. In today's episode, we will be discussing health inequalities and how digital transformation could address the widening gaps in society. I'm joined by the Satellite Applications Catapult's Health and Wellbeing Business Manager, John Vesey, co-founder and chairman of Visionable, Lord Victor Adibawale, and fellow of digital technologies at the King's Fund, Pritesh Mystery. We are in an era of unprecedented change within healthcare, driven by increasing need and accelerating technological opportunities. It is no secret that the NHS is under increasing pressure, but in recent years, new solutions have begun to emerge that could help alleviate this stress. The question is, how do we use these new technologies in the best and fairest way possible? The government's COVID-19 recovery strategy highlighted the importance of using more telemedicine and remote monitoring to give patients hospital-level care from the comfort and safety of their own homes. However, to deliver these services, connectivity is key. Currently, the infrastructure is not in place to enable the same levels of care to be delivered to all, and the pandemic has exposed and amplified the inequalities within our system. These are unfair and avoidable. John, I'd like to start um, with you and just by asking you, what are the main challenges that we face in health at the moment and how can space-based technology help to meet those challenges? So I think um, where the catapult's seeing some of the challenges is making sure that there's access and, and equity of access. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to drive at from a, more from the technology side of things is, is recognising that as we move towards digital by default for a lot of our health solutions in the UK and, and other healthcare systems, actually there isn't yet a connectivity by default. Uh, so we're expecting people to move to digital solutions, either as staff or as patients or members of the public. And yet we don't provide them with the basics uh, capability to get online and, and to, to access those things. And there's a whole separate conversation that we need to have about, well, how do you upskill people so that they can use it? Are they interested in using it? But fundamentally, what we feel one of the building blocks is is that piece around connectivity. And we know that uh, terrestrial-based connectivity is only going so far uh, in terms of where it's going to reach, uh, the markets that it's pushing into. So satellites has a sometimes a temporary role, uh, as infill whilst uh, mobile telephony expands, but we certainly see it having a role in remote and rural settings and making sure they're seen as important as some of the urban settings that tend to get the attention for health systems. And But why do we need connectivity in, in health? What, what are the main issues that this um, can help bridge? Because we know we've got a digital divide, but why does this matter with health? So for health, I think some of the challenges are uh, how do we move to a system where people own own their own healthcare, own their own data around it, have access to that data so that they're seen as an individual and a member of the public before they're seen as a, as a patient. So how do we avoid people using the system, particularly when that means avoiding physical appointments, either at a GP setting, uh, a pharmacy setting or in a hospital? Uh, and how do we allow them to embed 
their health and including their appointments into their everyday lives wherever they are. Uh, and for me, connectivity plays a fundamental role in, in facilitating that. Uh, for them and for the staff that support them. But surely lots of people, particularly older people, and you mentioned the, the shortage of digital skills, they, they're kind of sat in the ways and, and they don't want to see change. They like seeing um, GPs face-to-face. Where, where's the real need for this? So I think I think there's a bit of a mix. Um, uh, I think there are some people that that may have that uh, have that view and some of it is is partly because of age but might not uh, might not be exclusively just an age divide on that um and actually i think we should allow people the option uh, if if they want to be uh you know exploring technology and and keeping up with technology then we should be be able to facilitate that as well as support those that want face to face but i don't think there's uh you know in the recent studies looking at the hospital at home uh, studies, a lot of that has come out and said, actually, there's just as good care can be given from a care quality commissioning point of view by delivering it in the home. So why not allow a flexible set of options? Uh, I'm not advocating that everything moves away from face to face, but I think we just need uh, a range of options to suit the range of choices that people want to make at different stages in their life. And Victor, I can see you nodding along there. Is this um, something that is our future in terms of healthcare, having this connectivity and, and having things more digitalised than, than we're currently seeing? And how do we how do we meet that that need in that future? How do we get there? Well, we, we kind of are, but it's it's not equal. So to the point, the question that you asked about why is this important, um, there are only three challenges really, in my view, facing most health systems in the West. I know the health service likes to complicate things I like to do the opposite and there are only three and the first, they're really equity you know so a woman in Barking and Dagenham has an active life expectancy of 55 in Richmond upon Thames it's over 70 right that's not that's not sustainable and it's immoral right it's not sustainable from an organizational economic so equity that's your first challenge the second is access so you can have equity but if you don't have access that's a problem and access you need to break down a bit so um, access is 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 service design it's workforce and it's commissioning right the means by which you understand the needs of an individual and or community such that you can uh, a platform for procurement and the third is digital and it and the reason why it's in that order is that if digital isn't helping you with the first two, why are we using it, right? So the reason why we need connectivity is for the following reasons. One, we have a shortage. This is a worldwide issue of specialists, doctors. If you, uh, One of the ways we've got to get around that is utilisation. So if you've got a stroke doctor sitting twiddling the thumbs when they could be actually looking at pictures and looking at a patient and advising someone – then that's that's a risk and it's patience. So you need to, to the connectivity so that that stroke doctor can work from anywhere to anywhere and you can get that, get that done. Um, from the patient's point of view, if you've got a stroke, that's about time. So in the east of England, Visionable, the company that I'm very proud to, you know, and all that, um, we are aware of the underpinning technology of the stroke service in the east of England. And I can tell you, it's not just me doing this, it's been validated by research, reduced the average time that somebody spends in hospital after a stroke from 17 days to two. Wow. And we've increased thrombolization rates from 1% to 40%. Now, if you're a patient, on one hand, why should you care <laughs> what technology has been used? It's being used and it works, right? Um, but in other parts of the country, that's not available. Now, there's two challenges around that, and I'll shut up when I say this, but after I've said this, one is connectivity, right? And the other is how you get innovation 
to happen everywhere, right? And the connectivity is an issue because 8 million people, last time I looked, don't have access to the internet. It's probably more than that. There's a, several million people, even if they do have access, can't afford it. And then there's several million people, even if they have access and they have connectivity, can't afford a £600 phone, a £400 watch, and they would use it because the £400 watch isn't difficult. It tells you. It literally will alert you if your blood pressure spikes. I mean, it's not. you'd have to be, a, you'd have to be an astrophysicist. So the point is, it's all possible, but we have to get over the equity and access issue. And how do we get over those issues? Well, in, if you take um, it, it, uh, my view is that actually the cost of inequity probably pays for giving someone, <laughs> giving each of these big, that woman in Barking and Dagenham an Apple Watch and an iPhone. She'd figure out how to use it because everybody does, right? And if that iPhone is not only helping her understand her own health, but, but connecting her with the service, she's going to use that as well. So from my view, it's a question of priorities, a question of leadership, a question of values, a question of intention. It's not impossible at all. It's just about what priorities you choose. But are some health issues, they're ingrained from childhood. So if you're growing up in a low social economic um, community, you're not going to have exercise or understanding of exercise, understanding of health choices. How is it something we need to do from the grassroots up or is it something we could just do now? Because it would really, giving a phone to someone really help get over that issue. What we've got at the moment is a classic case of the inverse care law. Those people who need health and social care the most tend to get it the least. Those people also can, do you, can, will use and do use um, digital. It's just that they can't afford it. So we have to make it affordable. If we make it affordable and we make it accessible, actually that, that, that helps them and it helps us. The NHS in this country wasn't designed by people smart in this room. It was designed by poor people, the working poor, in a small village in North Wales called Tredega. That's why we have an NHS. They designed it. We didn't. So it's perfectly possible. They can do it. But... What's happened over time is that the power has been removed from them. It's been removed from the people who actually own the NHS, and it's been given to people who benefited from the NHS, generally the middle classes. So tell me about Visionable and, and what the, the goal was and why you established Visionable. Well, the goal is to connect everyone everywhere with healthcare, and we have a technology that enables that to happen because um, one of the beauties of Visionable is that it's unlike other video platforms, it is infinitely flexible. Um, there are about 28 patents associated with it. So the, the things that it can do that other platforms can't do, and I'm, I, at this point I'm not a technologist, okay, but it can do a number of things. And correct me if I'm wrong, John, because you are the technologist. Um, one, it does lossless vision. So what you see down the microscope on the, on a on the on a, on a slide, if you've got a cancer cell, is what you see on the screen wherever you broadcast it. So, you know, if it's your cancer cell somebody's looking at, you need it to be lossless, right? <laughs> Secondly, it does um, uh, MDTs. You can have as many people on the screen as you, as you need to have, which is wonderful. But more to the point, it will take data from any feed. So it's what you call single pane of glass. So if you're in an ambulance and you need information on somebody who has a stroke and they're wearing a brainomics cap that has a, uh, has a picture of their brain in, on it, in, you, know, you can see that on the same screen that you can see them. 
you can also see their blood pressure all on the same screen, which is very powerful if you're in a complex MDT. You can't have several screens. You need to see everything at once. So that's we, we're the only people that can do that. And similarly, there are some of the things around satellite we were talking about earlier. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there because you can answer the question, even though it's my company. I can't <laughs> John, did you want to pick up? Yeah, so, um, so we've been involved in trials with, with Visionable, uh, funded by the European Space Agency, that have looked at independent tests on which of these types of video consultation platforms, although they all have different features, which of those work over geostationary satellites and, and eventually will work over um, LEO satellite constellations. And it's, it's Visionable that, that wins that every time. Uh, so you compare it with Teams, with Attend Anywhere, with with other solutions, and, and they just don't work over geostationary satellites. And, and part of that is is because how those other uh, software houses have, have developed them from a security point of view. Um, but Visionable have designed it with with healthcare in mind and, and solutions that that as as Victor has described have focused and prioritised equity and access so that it can be used everywhere. It can have people remotely dialing in from an ambulance, from a care home that typically wouldn't have had connectivity but now could have through satellite. So it's um, for us, it's why we, we're very keen on what Visionable are doing uh, and keen to highlight that you know there are other ways of looking at these things. You don't have to wait for you know, connectivity to reach to to your cabinet or to um, to your five G network. You can do things before then and still be compliant and still uh, provide services that everyone expects. But already, it's also five G enabled, which is why Verizon, which is the the only they're only working with us worldwide. So I wanted to bring in Pratesh at this point because what you're saying is effectively this is got the potential to be um, the next revolution in, in not just healthcare, but in health equality. Uh, yes, so I, I think there's a huge potential for digital and digital transformation, but it all has to come down to how the system is enabled to pull in technology. So uh, you know, lots have been talked about COVID, and uh, we talk a lot about the pace of change in digital transformation. But one of the things that I don't feel we talk enough about is we shifted from a push of technology into the system to a pull. There was a need, there was an appetite, and it happened. So what we need to do for the future to enable equity of access, to enable digital to deliver care in different ways for people to have better outcomes in the way that works for them, is enable, as Victor was mentioning, the people who use the system to be able to choose how to access the system, the technologies and the tools that work for them. And part of that is around connectivity, part of it's around the right tools. It's, you know, we, we want scale, we want spread, but we also reach for consumer technologies that perhaps not the best structured for a healthcare system as well. So what stage are we at right now? And, and how is it, what is the, what is the goal? Uh, so it depends where you look in the country. Okay. So there, there's huge variability. Um, so you've got, as as kind of was alluded to by my um, colleagues here, there's there's organisations that struggle to connect to the internet just to do a Google search, and there's wow. organisations that are global digital exemplars at the top ten percent of capability in the world. There's AI labs that are you know, pushing ahead in, in artificial intelligence, amazing stuff. But that, that is a huge level of variability. And so, and so you've had, you'll have teams who are sharing a computer that takes 10 minutes to log in and then crashes when they try and do something. And then on the other side, like I say, you've got people doing uh, natural language processing to capture um, people's notes in the consultation. And how that is a huge level of variation. So there's that, a massive digital needs, divide right now. It's, it's infrastructure. 
it's not just a digital divide. It's around infrastructure. It's around um, the, the hardware that's there. It's around the appetite, the skills, and the culture. So how do we, I guess this isn't a, a it's part of it. The connectivity is certainly something that space can help with, but other things you mentioned there, such as skills and culture, how do we begin to tackle this problem? Because we know that we've got the potential to enable more equality when it, when it comes to healthcare. We know we've got the technology being developed to improve healthcare. We know because of space-based assets, we're actually going to be able to increase connectivity, bridge that digital divide. How do we do all this? Because it feels like a huge problem and it feels like there isn't a point at which you can first tackle it. So I don't think that they are separate issues. I think they are definitely interconnected. I think if we can say, look, here's your computer. This is how you easily log in. You don't have 20 logins. <laughs> it doesn't take... <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> when you try and do a consultation, it won't crash. This is a solid system that has the reliability. Then people will listen to you when you say technology will be able to do this for the future. But if you don't have that trust, that culture aspect and people don't trust their systems and they're not reliable, why would they believe you when you say you're going to have a, a digital assistant that's going to help shepherd you through these electronic health records and you don't have to do any typing anymore? Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think that there's a there's a kind of, um, in California, I was told that the sort of, uh, the Silicon Valley sort of mantra is, you know, move fast and break things. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's the health system. And, 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 and so that kind of approach to health, which I know is, has been redolent, you know, because it's a big market, you can make a lot of money. Um, I don't as as missed out the fundamental issue, which ultimately it's about humans and human change. So if you just give somebody digital and you don't understand how it's going to change the way they work and how they work and the culture in which they work, then you, 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 you're you wasting time. So Visionable, what we're really keen on doing is not just, we don't just sell software out of the back of a van and then, you know, hit, hit accelerate, accelerate. What we're interested in is actually talking to clinicians and patients about what their needs are how it really works for them and building the technology to, to support them in real time, in real places, in real cases. So, and, and we can do that because we own it. It's our technology. We're not relying on anyone else. But I, I, do, I do think that that lack of understanding the link between the human, <laughs> humans, and the technology is missing from all this in health. And so we tend to focus on the wrong things. So, I mean, there's all this stuff about interoperability. It's like the golden fleece. It never, it's never happened. It's, it's like, actually, I'm less interested in interoperability than I'm in operability. You know, does it work? Does it work in the context in which I have to use it? So it's all about finding a, a solution, you know, a solution to existing problems instead of creating something and then trying to yeah, meld it yeah, in to fix yeah, the problems that yeah, we face right now. Yeah. One of the frustrating things we are visionable is that you know, the stroke story that I told you is that's happening right now. You know, there's a stroke in this country every five minutes. In America, wow. it's every 40 seconds. And yet in some bits of the country, you get visionable. In the other bit, you get absolutely sweet FA. Uh, we've improved our stroke responses nationally over the years, but it, we could be better. We could be a lot better. We could be reducing the time that people need to spend in hospital. We could be operating at a level of sophistication. So there's something, but that is not a question of technology. That's a question of leadership, culture. You know, it's a question of intention and the processes matching it. That's, that's not a tech question. So by the time you've listened to this 40-minute podcast, there'd have been eight strokes somewhere in the UK. 
that's the maths. That, that's shocking. That, it's that the third is... biggest killer in the, in the world. It's the third big, biggest cause of, uh, cause of injury and death. But it feels like we've got the solution, so why can't we implement them? We, it feels like the because, technology's there. Because we don't have... It is a question of priorities. It is a question of, you know, my personal view has always been that at the core of the health system is inequity and inequality and equity. That's it. That's what we're here to do. Not everyone agrees. Not everyone agrees. So, you know, if that's not your omphalus, if that's not what you're about, then there's lots of other things you could be interested in. <laughs> you don't have to be interested in this. And off you go, right? Do you want to respond to that, Pratesh? Um, it's, I think I, I agree. For me, like I said, it comes back to the the push versus the pull. So how do you get people who are using the technology to be able to use the technology that works for them, both staff and for patients. Um, so what's worked really well in consumer tech is your, your options. You, the user is the purchaser. And you don't necessarily find that in the health and care system, especially with patients who can often be um, not powered to be able to be involved and engaged in their own health care. So yeah, how, how do you balance that? How do you support people to work together? And I think one of the one of the amazing things that technology could enable is to tap into the the knowledge, the insights, the support people around you, not just the healthcare system. Yeah, I, I think from my side, some of the some of the offers of technology are to to at least have some of that conversation to demonstrate how that conversation could be different. To to, to Victor's point about you know how do you do access differently? How do you do equity differently? Technology can can demonstrate it on a on a small scale and you can put the technology in place to, to show it and actually that's the bit that's relatively straightforward the challenge is do you see that as a you know do you see that within your system as a challenge and are you willing to break break some of that status quo down and say actually we're doing it wrong currently and we need to change path and that path isn't going to be an easy path so therefore we will invest over multiple years in in doing that and i think Pritesh, you made a really good point about the user and, you know, look at consumer technology. It's all about the user. The challenge that we find at the Catapult is, so we have user-centered designers supporting us with the living lab, but even for them, it's, well, which user are you designing for? Because for any any single task that you're looking at within the healthcare system, you've got seven or eight different users that you could design it for. You could design it for the commissioner that's paying for it. You could design it for the procurement team that wants to have it in a you know procurement-friendly way. You could design it for the finance team or the clinician or the allied health professional or the patient. And actually for us, part of the living lab and, and why you know we're keen to work work there with Visionable and others is to say, let's have all of those user voices then uh, and, and see things from all different sides of and be able to have a physical space, whether in you know in, in your headquarters in Kent and, yeah. and the simulants that you've got or the ambulance that we've got at Westcott and have that chance to say to people, this is what it would actually look like in a simulated environment and now let's investigate it from all angles and, and have that challenge of saying, does it actually work or are we only serving the one paramedic in this scenario and not all of the people involved? And that's what we're doing in Kent. Yes, yeah. we set this up. We've got, announced our partnership with Verizon and others. We, we've got that place where you can go and ideate and really think about what you're doing. But but I think what I'd really like to see is clarity from the NHS, actually, because the NHS isn't using its power and its convening power 
to actually, you know, so you're all nodding dictate, as well. yeah. dictate the direction of travel. So, and it's very confusing. You have NHS X, you've got NHS Digital, you've got NHS England Improvement, you've got the Department of Health and the minister, the last minister, and, you know, this one hasn't made so many statements about technology, number 10. It's all very confusing and, and it's a very unclear picture as to who's in charge, you know, of the direction of travel. And, and it seems to me that the, the, the NHS could be saying and should be saying, we've, we've focused on stroke at Visionable because we think it's, we can do something there. We've got demonstrable expertise and demonstrable outcomes and it's all been validated. But if the NHS picked stroke and said, we are going to you know, repeat what's happening in the East of England everywhere, don't talk to us unless you've got a technology that can help you do that, right? That would that would give the direction. Right? Similarly, they could say on equality and inequity. I was in I was in the um, I was in Yorkshire last this week, in fact, on Monday, and one of the problems with inequity and inequality is data. Right. So they, they literally some hospitals are still collecting data on pieces of paper and, you know, some are using spreadsheets when actually there are data platforms available that will get you the data that will do that. And so it demonstrated that will show will help you make decisions that will reduce, literally reduce the elective care challenge for poor people overnight. Right. But the, the, you need the system to say, you know what, we need you to help us collect this data so it's the same everywhere. Da, da, da. Don't talk to us unless you can do that. Well, does I'm, that we'll, come back we'll to connectivity? To you, but we're just not going to do that. And it's the same with connectivity. So you've got a situation where, and this is where you can, please correct me if I get this wrong, but, you know, we're moving towards population health systems. You've got a situation where in a nice integrated care system, which is the unit of population health we're going to, you've got, You've, you might have X number of hospitals, you know, a, a primary care network, community services. They've all got different suppliers of their infrastructure, BT, Vodafone, what have you. And, and, and then they'll all interpret the, the policy on digital and information transfer slightly differently. And each one of those people will be charging 300 grand a year. And actually, why can't we have an overlay which everybody uses, hides the wiring, the CIO can sleep at night. The data is downloaded overnight. The, the the patient tells the hospital what. But all that has to be, somebody has to say, that's where we're going. You know, we're not going to do this anymore. Sorry, you're nice people and all, but unless you can help us do this, thanks for the cup of tea. But I think it's, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about service design and commissioning, because actually it it's we have a system that functions exactly how it's designed. So we've designed it to have have that capability in inherently in it where you've got you know ambulances that have got multiple sim cards in the back because that's how we fund that part of the nhs it's cheaper for them to do it that way where they've got six seven eight different vodafone sim cards or, or however many all what, in order to gain a signal well, they because they've got eight different card. devices yeah. so wow. each of the devices is bought with a sim card in mind rather than having a single router or or uh, antenna on the roof because it's you, you can't invest that way. So it's not that the teams don't know that technology exists. It's not that the teams aren't cognizant that the technology could work differently. It's actually... Hasn't it, been mandated. Yeah, it's not been mandated. It's not been described to do it differently. There's been some examples of doing it differently, um, but there hasn't been, you know, a, a wide variety of it. But I think, you know, to, to Victor's point about who within the, who within the NHS system is 
is designing these and, and making that central call, you know, I, I still turn to the stuff that King's Fund put out about where does where does the NHS money come from? Where does it go? That that video is still the staple for, for my team as they join the catapult is let's understand the NHS and we we have to watch a you know a six minute video from the King's Fund and, and and go on a course for three weeks to understand it, let alone to then start interacting with it. So it's it's a complicated ecosystem. In in terms of the King's Fund, would you say it's it's more of a cultural thing that the number one thing that's needed is a cultural shift and understanding, and not so much the technology. And also, where can the technology come in to help and to help bridge the, these inequalities within healthcare? So, um, I mean, the, there is always going to be a technology piece, but we we get oversold on the technology. Technology can do lots of things. It comes down to the people and and what what's what's the culture in in that system but there's also things around you know, how is how is technology funded how are we funding the system it's done on an annual basis but your returns are done over multiple years um and so you know that that just kind of incentivizes you to to do what you can now as opposed to think about the long term think about the outcomes think about the impact to patients rather than um like I said, the, the system kind of incentivizes you to do the short-term thinking. Um, around the, 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 going back to John's point around user-centered design, you know, there's a lot of issues in being able to try and do that in the system around trying to share understanding, get people in a space that they're, they're not running on the treadmill to be able to just deliver care, see people and do the next thing. You need people in the room to have the headspace to do that. But when you don't have the workforce, the technology isn't going to bridge that gap, and and so it's it's the I mean it's, uh, Victor may argue that, that I'm, I'm thinking differently well, about this. I'm not shaking but... my head. I, I think that I think you, that there comes a point at which technology cannot. Right, they're absolutely correct. But if you, uh, I had to going back to the same example, but it's such a strong one. You know, if if we don't have enough stroke specialists, then technology can help you use the stroke specialists that you've got really well. So, so that's. But but you know, the the, the, the no, one of the things that always intrigues me is this notion that we're going to replace GPs with with AI. It's like, well, we might, you know, but I still want to see a person. I want to know a person's involved because of the judgments that you have to make. But what that person does becomes much more about the relationship than it is about the technology so I, i'm kind of with you i can see no, what no, you're I, saying i, I just, completely just agree a, with you so yeah. there's a, a recent publication looking at the distribution of workforce so staff within the healthcare system and inequalities and the areas that are heavily underdoctored have high levels of inequality. So as Victor rightly says, how do you enable a pool of staff across the nation through connectivity so people can access things, um, access the healthcare that they need? You know, um, and, and that is, I completely agree with you. And you know, But we are oversold a lot on the potential of technology where we're quite early doors still. We need to think about bringing technology into the NHS, the the culture around it I, I was talking to to someone within the systems uh, who's quite high level in a trust who's talking about implementing an electronic health record so the, the digital system victor we're talking about and it's treated like bomb disposal when you turn it off if it doesn't yeah. drop then <laughs> that is a win how is that yeah. a right way to approach technology no. it's, it's crazy yeah. no, so often on this podcast we're, we're talking about the benefits of technology particularly space applications for technology but what you're saying is it's a social aspect as much as yeah and i think we 
you know, all those involved, whether you're coming, you know, you're coming from a technology push point of view, or you're in a system that wants to pull in technology. I think uh, for me, a big starting point is is starting from that that humility uh, and recognizing that this is the reality of our system, not this is what the system should be or this is what nationally we say our system is in every location. It's actually what is the reality of what you do right now? What are the things that you're you may already be deploying technology, but you might be working around it, fighting against it rather than actually using it to its full potential. You might have a staff base that you know don't want to work with it and use a completely different set of technology tools that they'd much rather work with that they do in their private lives if they're allowed to you know uh, work and allow uh, allow them to have private lives but there is that side of things of where do we get to by by putting on a front of this is actually what our service is and this is what we want everyone else to think our service is actually we need that real that dose of reality that says this is our system and and yes there are places where it works really well and we've got some great exemplars and we've got some great uh, baseline statistics when we compare ourselves to other nations. But actually, there's also a raft of areas where we need to improve. And some of that is where we improve from, you know, one county line to the other county line. And some of it is where we compare between UK nations uh, and others will be where we compare from one nation to another with just looking at that one topic rather than saying, oh, but ours is free or ours is at the point of use, it's, it's therefore better. Are there any countries that we can look to which are doing a great job of this right now or, or that have set the precedent that we could potentially partner with in the future or at least learn from the way they've gone about this like merging of tech with um, social policies to enable bridging in health inequality? So I guess my standard answer would always be it's always important to look. Um, I don't think there's necessarily one that we want to you know, copy and paste from. Um, but I think there's there's lessons we can learn from how Estonia are are driving towards you know digital citizens for for all people, uh, so they don't treat people just when they're a patient. They're they're a citizen from from birth and and even before. Um, there's stuff that's happening in in Scandinavia, which is often uh, looked at and lauded at uh, in terms of what they're doing. But a lot of their technology that they've pushed is because they want uh, connectivity and and, and people. Uh, and that human element to connect with each other and and recognise that people aren't just the jobs that they do or the tasks that they perform within a system. Um, so I think there's places like that, that we can learn from. I think there's actually some amazing things happening in uh, in India in sub-Saharan Africa that uh, have taken leaps beyond us because we've had historical and uh, institutional areas where we've said, well, it has to be a fibre line or it has to be this technology because that's what we're using now. Um, and other places have gone... Well, we haven't ever had that, so why would we just settle for that? Um, so I think there's a range of answers, but that's a woolly answer. So there's a potential to help the... It was a very good woolly answer. Um, but there's a, the potential there to help the developing world as well and countries well, which you might have missed. To be honest, um, I think the developing world, as you put it, are going to be helping us. Mm -hmm. um, I think that because force majeure is a great motivator, you know, um, they don't have... Well, there's, there's, two, there's three things they don't have. They don't have some of the massive companies that see the opportunity to make a lot of money knocking on their door, you know, so there's not yeah. that, for want of a better word, political stroke, you know, market pressure to let us in um, so they can actually solve their problems, you know, honestly. Yep. Uh, two, they don't have the legacy stuff that you were talking about, so they can just leapfrog. 
um, as they have done with mobile phone usage. And three, you know, I think the next next genius is going to be is going to be a black woman. It's going to be someone who, you know, didn't have, you know, on the one hand, you know, is born really, really smart right? and hasn't had anybody stop pushing them back and is just absolutely connected with the, with the need to solve problems. And honestly, that I would be looking to Africa, I'd be looking to India, I'd be looking to, because they've got to solve those problems. And some of the stuff that Visionable has done in India is truly groundbreaking. You know, we had the first um, satellite operation in the middle of nowhere, you know. And so the stuff, the stuff happening, we have to be, we have to open our eyes to the possibilities um, that the West isn't going to be leading this stuff in the future. And we have to we have to just wind down the arrogance a bit, uh, just wind it back a couple of notches. What we need in this country is proper leadership. We need proper leadership, proper prioritization, proper uh, accountability for market transparency so that it's not just the big boys and it's not just the, you know, and we need patients and communities at the center of the of the challenge. And that's, that's what we need to happen. So in a way, the certain developing countries, you mentioned India and, and parts of Africa, they They've almost got this beautiful blanks, like in a sense, to start and to implement these new systems, and then they could potentially leapfrog us. So the connectivity. I won't be at all surprised. I won't be at all surprised. And you look at, I mean, countries like Israel. I mean, you know, they're, they're way ahead in the use of their digital health systems, and they have connected the social with the digital. So um, we we need to look widely, and we need to have our tenors open. Um, but I think the things that we need to solve here. It's a bit like it's a bit like the the, the, I've got a, the analogies. All these people who want us to go and live on Mars. It's like, well, you first. We've got a load of problems that are actually solvable right here, at relatively low cost. We need we need the leadership to focus on those problems, solve them. <laughs> so this is about much of what we do in space. It's such a small, small percentage actually going on space travel. Much of what we do in space. You know, it's point one of a percent of um, equity, which is actually invested into tourism, yeah. for example, in space. Much of what we do in space is about benefiting life on Earth, well, like all good. of us on Earth from across different backgrounds. But it's about it's a political thing that it's about implementing it. And Victor, I can hear almost like the frustration in your voice because you've got Ooh. this technology, and to know that there's almost like this this lottery here yeah. from where you it's get very sick. Good um, yet the technology is here that that must really frustrate it's you. It's very frustrating and it's frustrating because at the end of the day, you know, I'm really connected with patients and citizens. That's why we set up Visionable. You know, we didn't we didn't set it up actually, oddly enough, we didn't set it up to make shed loads of money. I hope we make some money because we've got a payload of people, right? But <sighs> but but actually we set it up because we could see there was a major gap in the market and a really simple gap. It's not so much a gap, it's a chasm, you know, that we have the technology to fill. So it is frustrating. Until that chasm's filled, I'm going to stay frustrated because people are, people are dying. People aren't getting the health care they need. People are living with injury and pain for much longer than they need to. It's not right. And how do you feel about that, Pratesh? I completely agree with Victor. There's so much more that we can do. I think looking across to other countries, yes, we can learn stuff. We can see what's possible. We can get away from some of the legacy systems and understand what's possible. But what is likely to happen in our culture and our system with our leadership is, you know, it's, it's unique to the NHS. And so it's not, you know, often within the NHS there's a top-down approach to, well, it works over there, why not do it over here? And that just doesn't happen. 
and that's not the the way culture works. So yeah, there's there's yes, we can learn from other countries, but we've got a lot of problems in, in the NHS and in in society with um, inequalities that need to be tackled and digital and connectivity can definitely have a part to play in that but let's not kid ourselves that digital is a source of this there's inequalities that are in physical care delivery so digital isn't just something that is exacerbating this it can improve the system overall and we need to look at the system overall so we've talked a lot about politics side of thing which obviously my background space and one thing which has fascinated me is um when you were talking about how you could the doctor doesn't have to be there. You've got a, a digital system of what's going wrong in the body. And if we look at a little further into the future, human spaceflight, humans extending our presence beyond Earth, more humans in space, there's a potential, you know, vast majority of what we do in space is for Earth, but there's that potential for this technology when it is used right to help future space travellers, to help, you know, because humans are built to explore, they're built to go over that hill and to help enable humanity to carry out into the cosmos because we've got, like technology using yeah. it visionable yeah, yeah. that will help keep astronauts oh, God, safe yeah, yeah. in space. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's, uh, we 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 um, we we focused on health because that's where me and, and Alan Lowe, who's the co-founder, uh, we're both from health, you know. But um, I'm, I'm a I'm a sci-fi fan. I love a bit of a bit, I love a bit of all that. And and you know if if it's going to work, I, I kind of I was I was smiling because um, you know the idea. That's going to be a while away, right? So, how much does it cost to go into space now to send a person up there? It depends. It depends you know, if, on the if you can provider. afford the ticket, you don't need the NHS, right? Because you know. So, no, but I'm talking for you. You know, it's government not a priority. And... I think what might be the priority um, for me, it's not a priority. But I think what is what is likely to happen is that we're going to move from reactive healthcare to predictive healthcare, yeah, because of the technology. So. I think that's going to happen sooner than we think. So people will be getting information from their own bodies that may be broadcast to their health um, sub provider um, that will say, well, before you even know, you need to go for a test um, because we've noticed a slight rise in your P, whatever it is, and you go to your test and it's done and you you don't even know that if you'd have left it, yeah you would have got cancer or you, you actually, you are at risk of a stroke, you, you know, something, some slight thing, something, you know, that just is imbalanced. It, it alerts. We're very close to that kind of technology. I mean, so what you're wearing on your wrist is nearly there. You can monitor pretty much everything. Um, and I think we're going to move to predictive health quite a lot. What would really, really cheese me off if that was only available to the middle classes? That would be that would be really sad. Did you want to pick up that? Yeah, Jeff? so I think let's be honest. In terms of data gaps, it's very likely that it's going to widen inequalities. It's only going to have access to certain or be accessible to certain parts of society. Yeah, I'm I'm slightly more optimistic, oh, okay. and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. One of the things that you need in order to run those systems is large amounts of data. Now, one of the challenges that we've had in this country, not so much in the States, but in this country, is people's suspicion of people collecting the data. So you had care.data, you've had a recent attempt that has also floundered because people have said, give my, give my data to who? Why? What's in it for me? Like, really? <laughs> um, and 
that gives me hope that actually if we can get the dialogue right, so if you look at the work that Axel, uh, Dr. Axel Heitmiller is doing, which is Imperial, where they're actually doing these wide-scale consultations with populations about day-to-day use, which is improving people's um, comfort with it, you're getting that data from everybody, not just from the rich and the... And because you're getting it from everybody, they're ex- expecting something in return. So... I'm slightly more optimistic. I, I kind of, I get you. I think if, if we let it run on its current trajectory, that's exactly where you'll end up, right? And in America, because of the way the health system works, you know, it's 55% of all bankruptcies and all that. But in this country, I think there's a, an in, a growing awareness that, you know what, you know, my data is worth something and I ain't just going to hand it over to you. You know, I remember somebody telling me, you know, I said it's nothing to do with... I think I can say this, you can cut it out anyway. Somebody said, Google's going to take all my health data. You know, we've got done this deal with Google. And I said, not not my data, mate. It's not, not happening. And one after another around the table, no, hey, no don't think so. <laughs> and and, and eventually, you know, that, and I just think culture and data matter. You know, I just, I, so, I, I can, I'm so kind I can, of thinking it might not be so dark, but, you know. I, I completely agree in the positive side of things, but looking at, Sorry, looking at the landscape um, and the work that Imperial College Health Partners that you referenced, really good, really good uh, deliberative practices. But understanding patient data, for example, is no longer exists. And that, that was doing a lot of the, the work from Wellcome Trust. So there's a real need to move this practice from one centre to all the ICSs and have it as distributed practices. But it's um, it's going to be really hard to do that when when the culture is very centralised. Can I give you one example? Because it's not that we're disagreeing. You're pointing out the dangers exactly as I see them. But I'll give you an example of where it really matters. Um, when I was up in West Yorkshire, I spoke to a wonderful, wonderful chap um, called Owen, and he runs a he runs a health system up there, and he showed me. So we've got a problem in this country with elective care, right? Massive, five million weight. Probably double that actually, and what he's done, he's got the data. He's got a data platform that shows him who's waiting longest by um, by deprivation indices, and lo and behold, the poorest are waiting longest, right? And so, what he's done, he, he's taken that data and he's used it to change the dialogue, right? And what he's done, he's brought down his whole waiting times because. They're, they're waiting significantly longer. Now, I don't do, I'm not the mathematician, right? But if you take out the poor who are waiting longest, it means the whole waiting list comes down, which means the middle class has benefit and everyone else has benefit. So that data from the poor is necessary in order to the whole system. And that's, that's what I mean. Just to sum up then, because you're, you're all really passionate about both the challenges we face and technology and how it might not help and how it can help. Oh, um, John, if I just start with you and if you will just very quickly answer, but um, what are your hopes for the future and what more do you think is needed in order to bridge this gap in health inequality? So I think for me, it's it's about having these sorts of dialogues, these sorts of conversations at a systemic level and making sure that voices are heard. So people are willing to start from a place of humility and saying, this is what it's really like, this is what our system is now, and this is where we want to get to, and then starting to think about where can we pull technology into that rather than starting from, we've got this technology, where do I shove it? 
Mm. Well, from Visionable's point of view, we need to put the patient and the citizen at the centre, build technology around them and ensure that it answers the equity and access. And Pratesh, final words to you. So from my perspective, I think it's, it's if we've won, we don't talk about the technology. The technology disappears and the outcomes improve. It's a great place to end it on. Um, so Pratesh, Victor and John, thank you very much for your time. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. And to find out more about how space is empowering industries between episodes, visit the Catapult website or join them on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook.